The gospel for the Sunday is recorded for us in the gospel according to St. Luke, reading from chapter 12. These words also serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the gospel of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God's grace and mercy and peace, these are yours through faith in him as your dear Savior. Amen. Did you know that back in the 1940s, there was a number of people in our country who thought that the world was about to come to an end? People who thought that the world was about to suddenly burst into flames and be destroyed? The fear grew behind the closed doors of some of the most brilliant and powerful people in the world. It was behind those closed doors of some of our politicians, and then, of course, of the most brilliant minds in regards to nuclear physics. As some of them thought, as they were developing the first atomic weapons, thought that with the detonation of that very first atomic bomb, it would set our atmosphere on fire, burning it off the surface of the earth, leaving our world as lifeless a rock as our moon. And then on July 16th, 1945, the world changed. On July 16th, 1945, the first atomic weapon was detonated down in the salt flats of New Mexico. And in a way, you could say the world was set on fire in a different way. Because even though with that development, very not, or not long after that, bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Japan, bringing an end to the Pacific theater of World War II, a new war began. We sometimes call it the beginning of the Cold War, a race of arms to build up nuclear weapons. A nuclear arms race that on more than one occasion brought us to the brink of mutually assured destruction. Well, that threat of nuclear firestorm is a bit more subsided these days, although sometimes we wonder if it's getting a bit heated again with Putin over in Russia and everything else going on these days. You don't have to open your eyes very wide or look very far to see that our world is indeed on fire. A week ago, or was it two weeks ago already? I can't remember. We had our groundbreaking at St. Paul for an expansion for our ministry facilities with offices, meeting spaces, but upstairs also expanding uh, classroom space. And all of this construction is also goal of making our building secure, but not against nuclear blast and fallout. Those of you who are older, growing up in the 40s and 50s, remember doing your duck and cover drills, right? That in case you saw that bright flash brighter than anything you had ever seen in your life, quick, duck under your desk before you get vaporized by an atomic weapon going off, right? It would do nothing for you. No longer do we build fallout shelters in the schools that we build for our children. Instead, we build hardened structures to protect our children from acts of senseless violence. See the world on fire around us. 
The nature of politics is one that seems to be a fire always burning these days. It doesn't have to be an election cycle anymore for those vicious attacks to be going out on social media and commercials and the news. We look at our world today and we see racial and social and economic flames burning brighter and brighter. Things it seems like we, we kind of took care of back in the 60s and 70s and had a renewal of these things maybe in the 80s and 90s and now here we're doing it all over again 50 years later. Christians still lose their jobs, still lose their property and even lose their lives in different parts of our world today. And the embers of persecution in our own land against God's people is being fanned ever brighter and hotter into flame. The world is indeed on fire. You don't have to open your eyes very wide to see it. You don't have to pay very close attention at all to feel those flames licking at us. And we consider what Jesus says to us today. And when we use just the soggy noodle floating between our ears and listen to what Jesus has to say, we might begin thinking to ourselves that at best what Jesus has to say seems wrong and at worst is a complete lie. We generally think, don't we, that when we go out with the word of God that it is to bring peace to the world and to people's hearts individually and that harmony will generally result? And yet Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Doesn't that cause you to wonder just a little bit? Wait a second. Am I forgetting Christmas and how that went? Did I... Did I memorize my verses wrong when I was a little kid going through the Christmas services? Didn't the holy angel proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests? Don't I also remember Jesus proclaiming to his disciples, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. You're right, you're not remembering wrong. Those are exactly the songs of the holy angels announcing to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem the Savior had been born and those are Jesus' very words to his disciples. But remember that Jesus, he is indeed the Prince of Peace, but he is the Prince of Peace according to his standards, not the world's standards. The peace, though, Jesus is talking about today is not the peace that he has come and accomplished and brought about between a holy God and sinful mankind by reconciling us through his perfect life, innocent death, and glorious resurrection from the grave. This morning, Jesus is talking to us about the peace that exists between human beings here on earth, or rather, the peace that doesn't exist. This morning, Jesus, he shatters any inkling that you and I might have in our minds and in our hearts that because Jesus has come and accomplished his work here in this world, that we'll all be able to live together in peace in this world. That we'll all be able to perfectly live in peace even within the walls of the church. And yes, within our own families. Jesus declared those shocking words. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, 
mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. There will always be a fire burning whenever there are two sinful people living together in the same place. Sinners make sin, and sinners tend to sin against each other. And this fire, of course, will especially always be burning so long as there are stubborn hearts that will continue to cling to their sin and not repent of their sin. It's a fire, the Lord says, of division, not a fire of peace. We see this already almost at the beginning of time. When Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was a believer. We see this centuries later when Ishmael, the half-brother to Isaac, remember Ishmael, the son, the product of Abraham and Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Ishmael, Scripture tells us, was persecuting Isaac. Remember all the teasing and the things that made everything really bad in the household, which also made it bad between Hagar and Sarah with everything else. Ishmael, an unbeliever, was persecuting Isaac, the believer. That's why Abraham had to send him away. And the same's been going on ever since. It's what the Lord said already, even before Cain killed his brother. In the garden, when he approached Adam and Eve because of their sin and then made that first gospel promise, talked about how he would create enmity or hostility between believer and unbeliever. This is the course of things. And we can see this also in our own families. We can see this fire burning maybe with a son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter who refuses to come to church and that, that fire is fanned ever brighter into flame when you approach them with God's will for their lives. And you do so lovingly and gently and encouragingly and yet it is met with hostility. And they not only refuse to come, they refuse to listen to you and maybe even threaten you, saying that if you keep on talking about this, I'm not going to come over anymore. I have it in my own family. I have one of my sisters. I'm the oldest of six. I haven't seen her in five years now. She hasn't even talked to anyone in our family or extended family because we refuse to accept her sinful choices. She even threatened to call the police if we showed up on her doorstep. Now, what's causing this division? It's important, friends, for you to understand that the devil is constantly whispering in your ear to tell you it's your fault, that you're the one creating division, that if you push too much with God's truth, you're going to drive them away. That's a lie straight from the bowels of hell. You do not do the dividing, not when you have God's truth and you bring it to them in love and with respect. They are the ones creating the division. They create the division through their lack of desire to repent and acknowledge their sin. They are the ones creating the division in the family as they are working to divide themselves from the body of Christ through their unrepentant sin. You see this fire burning, maybe between yourself and a sibling who has chosen to live together outside of marriage with their boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé. 
And they come with all the regular excuses, right? Oh, we got to get to know each other first before we know this is going to work or it saves us money to do this and the whole gamut of excuses can come along. Or they would rather cling to their shame and sin and shame the family, shame themselves, but worse of all, shame Jesus Christ, their Savior, who shed his blood for them. And on top of it all, help lead the world around them into sin as they live in this sin publicly, as people look at them and assume what generally happens when people live together like that. You find this fire burning maybe between yourself and a cousin who's gone off to university and their faith was destroyed by the paganism that surrounded them and the atheism that surrounded them and they come home and they make fun of you for being so small-minded, so backwards, so old-fashioned to think that there's actually still a God out there. And I'd warn you parents who have kids or kids about to be in college or even in college, I think there's no better place for a young person to lose their faith than on the campus of public university. Because nowhere else will they be challenged like that, perhaps the rest of their lives. Unless, of course, they find themselves in working in sp- uh, certain scientific fields. We find this fire burning all around us and these divisions, they are terrible. They can bring enormous amounts of heartbreak into our lives, stress and sleepless nights so that we even maybe make ourselves physically sick because of all the anguish we have in our hearts. And we don't want this division. We want there to be peace, especially between us and our family members and our friends, those that we know the best and we love so dearly. And this is a beautiful desire. But there is a wrong way and there is a right way to bring about restoration. The wrong way, of course, is through the world's ways of accomplishing peace, which cannot last. Mankind's external peace through compromise or ceasefire. Ceasefire creating and a situation maybe like North and South Korea where the war is actually still going on and there's a demilitarized zone where it just says, you don't talk about religion when we're together. Or the compromise that says, well, we'll accept this about you if you accept this about me or let's just agree to disagree. And sometimes you might think it's just a wash or maybe accomplishes nothing. No, friends, that way, the way of the world that accomplishes far more than nothing. To call out a ceasefire is to say that sin doesn't matter and really Jesus doesn't either. To call out matters of compromise is to say that God's word is on the same level of anything else that human beings have written and it's just up to a matter of opinion. Both can lead those caught in sin to the same place. Being safe and secure in their sin and then going to hell. And then facing a fire that is far worse than the fire that would exist and continue to exist between us as believers and unbelievers, no matter who they are, this side of eternity. Which would you rather have? Not only to have no blood on your hands, but more importantly, in the hopes that those caught in sin would repent of their sin and turn back to the Lord in faith? 
or to simply have the love of this world, which is no love at all, that would just be fine with letting anybody and everybody continue on in their sin. I know what you want. But then we examine our lives and our hearts and our actions and our words to see if our desires line up with what we say and do. Friends, our Lord Jesus, he has set this world ablaze. But he didn't do it to be mean. And he didn't do it because he's just an angry judge. He did it in mercy. He set this world ablaze in order to save this world, to save the likes even of you and me who so often are so timid and afraid and we're afraid that we're the ones believing the devil's lie, that we're the ones causing the, the division here instead of the devil and those who hold to his lies. Jesus comes fanning the flames of division in this world because he comes with peace that this world cannot give. And he comes with forgiveness in this world that this world cannot give. And he comes with a peace that this world cannot even begin to understand that surpasses all understanding. And he comes with this peace for you and for me and for all people. And he accomplished this through a baptism, he says, a baptism of fiery judgment that his soul was already beginning to dread weeks before it ever even happened, feeling like he was being squeezed on all sides. And you know that feeling at least to some degree, right? Whether a big project at school or work or some other stressor in your life, waiting to hear the news from the doctor, getting that phone call, and then finally the phone rings and you don't want to pick it up. Imagine now, the knowledge that soon you would face the terrors of an eternity in hell for the sins of all people. And how that would grow week after week after week, day after day after day, and yet never once turning away from going to the cross. So that that distress grew so great that in that garden of Gethsemane, right, Jesus is on his hands and he's praying to his heavenly father, sweating as though bleeding drops of blood to the ground, is so distressed that he's restored by the ministry of holy angels who come to him with the assurance that this all was, of course, according to his heavenly father's will, to save you and me. And then facing that fiery wrath of God the Father, which consumed his holy soul so that there on the cross as Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He can look at God, but God's back is turned to him. But then maybe all is facing him, all he can see with a back turned against him, at least the back of God's mercy and peace and love that had existed between God the Father and God the Son, a perfect love is now only wrath and anger and hatred and disgust. And he did that for you and me. And he did that so that you and I, not only right now, would not have God's wrath blazing against us, but more importantly, that forever we would not live in the fires of hell, but in the glorious light of heaven. And that is what he did for all people no matter what the circumstances of their life, no matter what fire might be blazing between yourself and them. And now through that gift of faith, Jesus, he has also kindled in your hearts another fire, a fire of his love that desires to to show God's truth to all, 
no matter how abrasive the situation might be, no matter how hot those flames of division might be, he has kindled a fire in your hearts also that wants to see every single day as you wake in the morning a fiery death brought upon your sinful nature. As you remember your baptism, burning it away and then drowning it as well in the waters of your baptism, remembering that you are indeed a redeemed child of Christ and he has set you free to walk in his peace every single day. And because of this, because of this peace that rests on your hearts, you are now also able to recognize that Jesus, he is not the enemy of peace. So often we think that Jesus is the enemy of peace. If I, if I talk about this topic with this person, then it's going to cause problems. Or, boy, if we try to have communion on a fellowship Sunday or on, on, a, on a welcome Sunday or on a big maybe festival Sunday, we're going to have a lot of conversations of, boy, oh, this is going to really upset them because this person doesn't understand close communion. Instead of seeing that as a negative, dear friends, see it all as a positive. Jesus set this world ablaze on purpose so that people would realize that they have a problem in their lives with their sin or even their unbelief. And Jesus is the solution. It's so important for you and I to realize that we don't want to make shaky truces like this world wants to make that is based on things that cannot last. Rather, we base it on the truth of God's word. And with this world on fire, friends, we have to understand, we're never going to be comfortable this side of heaven. It's a hard truth we must accept. A hard truth that we must live with every single day is recognizing the fire still burning in our hearts because of our sinful nature and that this fire is going to be blazing in the world around us and it seems in our country it will be fanned into flame more and more and more and it's so easy for us to get frustrated. It would be so easy for us to get angry. It would be so easy for us to let rage burn in our hearts either privately or even then outwardly to the world. But what would this accomplish? in a world that is burning already, in a world that is dying for peace. No, friends, as we live with the fire of God's love burning brightly in our hearts, as we live in peace with all people, as much as it depends on us, as we graciously and gently and lovingly bring his truth to people, yeah, sometimes it will cause those flames to burn ever brighter, and sometimes it might even burn ever brighter for a time. But as we are persistent with that person, those flames will do their work one way or another. One way or another, they will be convicted of sin and then God will show them when they die what they passed by. But then sometimes also, it will cause them to finally see their sin and to repent and turn in faith to their Savior Jesus. So then in their hearts then also, they'd have the fire of Jesus' love burning brightly. Many people working on that Manhattan Project so many years ago, almost 80 years ago, believed that by inventing atomic weapons, it would bring the end to all wars. Their hope was, especially Oppenheimer, his hope was that people would realize that now that we had the ability to bring such catastrophic destruction on entire cities with one weapon in an instant, in the blink of an eye, would cause people to realize peace is better. We know this didn't happen. 
and it's still not happening today. But Jesus, on the other hand, where mankind has failed, Jesus is completely victorious. Jesus' love is indeed burning brightly throughout this world, and it's burning brightly in your hearts. And he passes that fire on to you to burn sin from your life and then also kindle in your hearts the fire of his love that will show his love and his truth to your family members, to your friends, to your coworkers, to complete strangers, even though it may bring division either eternally or for a time. But friends, don't shy away from that fire of division. It's what you need. It's what they need as well. But then to present them through that, the real and lasting peace found only in Christ and not leave them alone to face the failing facade of human peace. Consider Jesus, dear friends, as the writer to the Hebrews told us this morning, consider Jesus and the fire that he faced for you, both by living a perfect and holy life So that there as he also, like in the garden of Gethsemane, was ministered to angels after he battled against the devil in in the wilderness for those 40 days and nights. Consider the fire he faced for you so that you also would not grow weary and lose heart. Amen.